Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome into another edition of the Sports Geeky Podcast. It is episode number 24. My name, as always, is Alex Reamer. Happy Saturday. We made it to the weekend. I'm not sure why I open every episode with saying good morning, actually. I mean, who knows if you're listening to it in the morning. That's the beauty of a podcast. You can listen to us anytime, anywhere. We are available wherever Outsports podcasts can be found. So that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We are there. We have a big show for you this week. We have not one guests, but two guests. That's right. And the main topic of conversation is the WNBA with the season opening up this weekend. Major League Baseball back on Thursday. And I think a historic opening day for baseball. Not just because it took place in empty ballparks with cardboard cutouts and virtual fan and virtual crowd noise. But because of the social statements that were made. We had every player on the Nationals and Yankees kneel before the National Anthem on Thursday. We had the, the video narrated by Morgan Freeman. We had the cloth, the black cloth that every player was holding. We had Mookie Betts, who now in my mind is the face of Major League Baseball. Mike Trout might still be the best player in baseball, though Mookie, not too far behind him. But in terms of the face of baseball, Mookie, who just signed the second richest contract in baseball history with the Dodgers, a 12-year deal, $365 million, kneeling during the National Anthem, which, as we know, is so rare. So few baseball players have done it prior to the season. Uh, that is a hell of a statement. That is a strong statement. Mookie Betts, as far as I'm concerned, is the new face of Major League Baseball. And as all of these sports restart, social justice, racial justice, all of these issues that have come more to the forefront than perhaps ever in the aftermath of the disgraceful and disgusting George Floyd killing, uh, they will continue to be center stage as these sports leagues come back. We know about the NBA painting Black Lives Matter on the court, the players wearing social slogans, social justice slogans on their jerseys, uh, always speaking out about it. LeBron this week had some very poignant remarks about Breonna Taylor, and we know about the work he's doing with his voting rights group. And I say all that because when we talk about social justice issues being at the forefront of sports, and especially as they come back during this pandemic, uh, the WNBA is really leading the way on that and has for some time. And when you talk about social media and the platform it gives athletes, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better example of the platform it's given many of these WNBA players uh, than to just look at the benefits of social media and how it helps out these players having their own platforms so they don't have to go through traditional media channels where, let's be honest, I mean, I used to work in Boston Sports Talk Radio. We don't talk WNBA at all. It is not part of the day-to-day sports conversation in this country. I think sexism obviously plays a massive role in that, especially in the sports world. Um, But with social media and with Twitter and with Instagram and other avenues, players such as Sue Bird or... Laisha Clarendon or uh, Natasha Cloud, certainly, who I think wrote uh, one of the definitive essays in the aftermath of the George Floyd killing, Your Silence is a Knee on the Back of My Neck, basically calling out white complicity. Uh, it, it It is so huge because these athletes now have a direct portal to fans to get their messages and voices out there, and they're very important messages and voices to hear. So much like every other league. I mean, Major League Baseball stenciled in Black Lives Matter on its pitching mounds this week. Much like every other league, social justice causes will rightfully be at the center of the WNBA when when it restarts in its bubble. And uh, one owner in particular has a big problem with that. Kelly Loeffler 
is a co-owner of the Atlanta Dream. She joined the club's ownership group in 2011. But Loeffler, of course, is also the sitting junior Republican senator from Georgia who's locked in a tough fight for re-election this upcoming November. Well, I shouldn't even say re-election because she was appointed to the seat by Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. But she is in a tough fight this November to retain her seat against Republican Rep. Doug Collins, who, uh, of course, is one of Trump's most ardent defenders in Congress. He was a, a star in these right-wing circles during the, impeach- uh, during the impeachment hearings. Uh, he is challenging Loeffler. He's raising more money than Loeffler. He has much more grassroots support and excitement than Loeffler. He's leading Loeffler in the polls right now in Georgia. So Kelly Loeffler is desperate politically. And what is she doing? She continues to take shots at her own league, the WNBA, and in particular, the WNBA's embrace of Black Lives Matter. Last week, she writes a letter to Commissioner Kathy Engelbert. She says, I adamantly oppose the Black Lives Matter political movement, which has advocated for the defunding of police, the removal of Jesus from churches, the disruption of the nuclear family structure, harbored anti-Semitic views, and promoted violence and destruction across the country. Yes, Kelly Loeffler is very concerned with anti-Semitism as she supports Donald Trump, a candidate whose campaign has tweeted out Nazi imagery as told to a room full of Jewish people, you have to vote for me because you like your money. So, yes, Kelly Loeffler is very concerned. Good, good, fine people on both sides of Charlottesville, uh, but Kelly Loeffler is very concerned about anti-Semitism. Um, so that's what she writes last week to Kathy Engelbert, which of course is absurd. Those are all lies about Black Lives Matter. They're a Marxist group removing Jesus from churches. I don't even understand what that's about. So she lies in her letter to Engelbert, like she's gearing up for an appearance on Hannity. And then this week, Loeffler doubles down on her stance, telling ESPN that the WNBA could lose fans with its embrace of Black Lives Matter. She says, I think a lot of people feel that they may not have a place They may feel excluded from the sport and other sports that make them feel like American values aren't at the core of what we're doing here. Oh, yes, American values. What could she ever mean by that? Why would supporting Black Lives Matter not coincide with American values, Kelly Loeffler? What are you trying to say there? So, of course, over the last several weeks, we've had many WNBA players from Sue Bird to Natasha Cloud, Skylar Diggins-Smith, Renee Montgomery, and the entire dream have rebuked their own owner. They've called for an ouster from the league, but Loeffler says she won't go. Nope, she also told ESPN that she will not go. They will not force her out of the league for her views. That's exactly what she says, while simultaneously tweeting that, quote, I've been canceled for calling the BLM political organization what it is, a Marxist group. Yeah, Kelly Loeffler, a sitting United States senator with an estimated net worth of $500 million, says she's been canceled. Right, I, I love that. I love us all to be canceled like Kelly Loeffler. Uh, but this is just vapid. This is cheap. This is her, again, clearly using the WNBA for political gain. And it really is such a lame trick. And we see right-wing politicians do this time and time again when it comes to outspoken black athletes and social justice causes. You go back to a couple weeks ago, Josh Howley, senator from Missouri, wrote that letter to Adam Silver condemning the league's embrace of Black Lives Matter. 
disingenuously asking Silver why the NBA didn't verbalize support for Hong Kong last fall, the Hong Kong protesters, and if players could put pro-police slogans on their jersey if they want to, which, of course, is just disingenuous talk radio, toothless whataboutism. It has no real muster. It's stupid. It's dumb. It's a distraction. I mean, yes, the, the NBA did not handle themselves well last fall when Daryl Morey tweeted out support for the Hong Kong protesters. The NBA, like every other major corporation in the country, is compromised when it comes to China, and that's including LeBron James. I'm not excusing it, and but that's the fact. And yes, it's a sad fact. But the NBA, not speaking out against the Chinese government, has nothing to do with the league speaking out in favor in supporting Black Lives Matter and social justice and racial justice movements. It has nothing to do with that. LeBron James not speaking out against China, as bad as that may be, and as distasteful as that may be, has nothing to do with LeBron James then speaking out about Breonna Taylor. Why does that nullify what LeBron says about racial justice? It doesn't, unless you're just looking to nullify an outspoken black man which is what Josh Howley was doing with that letter, which, of course, is what Donald Trump has been doing for years, from calling kneeling players in the NFL sons of bitches to most recently demeaning Bubba Wallace. This is the same cheap, vapid playbook, and Kelly Loeffler is using it and using it against her own league. I mean, can you imagine the NFL putting up with an owner who is not just attacking their own league for their personal political gain, but is encouraging fans to protest the league for their own personal political gain? That is ridiculous. So I'm not sure how this Kelly Loeffler saga ends. I'm sure it will continue as she gets more desperate and as the election grows nearer. I know the WNBA, their commissioner, Kathy Engelbert, has said she will not force Loeffler to sell her share of the team, nor should she. I mean, Kelly Loeffler has not committed any crime to our knowledge. There was that insider trading investigation, but she got cleared on that. This is not a Donald Sterling situation where, you know, he was caught saying racial slurs on tape. It's not like that. But Kelly Loeffler is race baiting, and she's using the black athletes on her team in the league as, as basically political pinatas. And that's just beyond distasteful. So it's a story that has enraged me over the last couple weeks. So very interested to talk about it more today with uh, two women who know a lot more about this league than I do. First of all, uh, first off, we bring on Tamron Spirul, who's a longtime WNBA writer. She's the editor-in-chief at Swish Appeal, which is the WNBA blog at SB Nation, one of our many network sites. Uh, we cross-promote them all the time. I'm sure you've seen her byline on Out Sports. We talk not just about Kelly Loeffler with Tamron, but we talk about the league as a whole and how – I really think this time in this country where we're so laser-focused on social justice causes, um, it, this is the time for the WNBA to really shine, given how outspoken so many of its athletes, and LGBTQ athletes in particular, are. So Tamron Sparol joins us next, and then after that, we talk more Kelly Loeffler with Lauren Rosenberg, a returning guest here to the Sports Kiki. Uh, Lauren, for those who may have forgotten, joined us a few months ago. She is a soon-to-be graduate of the University of Missouri's Journalism School, that venerated journalism program. She's the first openly LGBTQ sports reporter for the station's radio station. So we talk with Lauren Rosenberg about Kelly Loeffler, her thoughts on that as a longtime fan. And also, I'm interested, as someone who was a journalism student not too, too long ago, um, how she's navigating this 
hellscape of a job market as a soon-to-be graduate in the media field. So that's all coming up. It's a Sports Kiki, episode number 24. Thank you, as always, for listening. And welcome back to the show. Very excited for our uh, first guest today. We bring on uh, somebody whose byline you've probably seen quite a bit on OutSports, especially the last few weeks, uh, Tamron Sparul. She is uh, the uh, a longtime WNBA writer, currently the editor-in-chief at Swish Appeal, one of our many uh, network blogs as part of the SB Nation network. She's also written for The Athletic, Bleachery Report, Teen Vogue. She writes about gender, race, and sexuality. So perfect for us. Uh, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here. Tamron, it's great It's great to talk with you. As I mentioned, the, the devout outsports readers almost certainly have a senior bylines as we share a lot of Swish Appeal stuff. And uh, of course, the WNBA is starting this weekend. And at Outsports, you know, we cover the league a lot because of all of the openly LGBTQ athletes in the league. And of course, we cover LGBT sports issues. Um, but it's been a lot of... Uh, it's been a t- tumultuous few weeks and really few months for the WNBA. I mean, we've been writing a lot about the Kelly Loeffler situation, uh, what happened, which I think was just ridiculous, to uh, Alina Deladon, where the league wasn't going to uh, allow her medical exemption. Then she writes that Players' Tribune essay about her Lyme disease, and now she takes 64 pills a day. We had the mini controversy over the, the, the putrid hotel conditions at one of the facilities when teams first arrived. So as someone who's followed the league for so long, just... How would you encapture this current moment in WNBA history? Well, I feel it's now that we're a day from tip-off, I feel that it's almost actually a success that it's even happening considering these conditions. And so on one hand, I feel like uh, new commissioner Kathy Engelbert, who has been in the position just a year as the first ever commissioner um, after it was all presidents serving under the NBA commissioner for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like she's not getting enough credit for the things that she has done amid calamitous circumstances that nobody could have foreseen. Um, so even having a season, I think, is impressive. Even having all the players in the bubble test negative for the coronavirus, I think, is impressive. She also spearheaded the first ever virtual draft that the other leagues followed. Um, So those are all things to champion. However, there obviously were some hiccups, um, things you don't want to see, like players eating Lunchables and meals that look like they were, you know, served on the set of Orange is the New Black in the early seasons or, um, you know, all, all of these things. But the players have said that when they voiced their concerns, that Kathy Engelbert took it upon herself to as quickly as possible get things rectified. And the meals, I believe, you know, were quickly straightened out. Some players were moved to better locations um, rather than, you know, what we saw online, which is, you know, buggy conditions and other things. So um, I think it's fabulous that it's even happening. I think that's a testament to, um, and I don't really see that it's been praised enough. Um, Engelbert's you know, ingenuity and, you know, willingness to just, instead of just throwing in the towel, um, you know, to find a way to make it happen. Um, So, so that's, that's where I think we are going into the season. And I know that after all of what the players went through to get here, I know they're ready to hoop. I know they're just ready to get on the floor 
and they're ready for the the focus to change to what they can do with the rock. Yeah, and, and I mean, so I mean, admittedly, I'm kind of new to the WNBA. Prior to joining Outsports uh, earlier this year, I you know I worked in conventional sports talk radio. We didn't talk a lot of WNBA, so just explain a little more about kind of the previous setup and how Kathy Engelbert. So she's the first. So if she was not, if the WNBA was still under the old model, president serving under the NBA, you, you, would a season have happened, or do you think that it took a very strong leader like a commissioner like Kathy Engelbert to to make this very complicated a uh, process happen? When Engelbert was uh, named the first ever commissioner, the question that surrounded it is: Is this a change in name only, or is it a change in power? And will she be able to? Um, do what other, what the presidents that came before her seemed unable to do, which is really, you know, take the reins and uh, make change. And right away, um, she started right before the 2019 All-Star Game. And then we, you know, moved right pretty quickly into the playoffs. And um, there was uh, a situation where the players would have had you know, basically one day of turnaround after complete competing in the second round of the playoffs to fly across country for the semifinals. Well, she took it upon herself to charter flights to wow. get the players there because in 2018, um, there was a, you know, a lot of stories about the players being stuck in airports. They fly commercial, whereas NBA always right. flies charter. Right. Um, so to correct that and, you know, on, on behalf of player safety, she took it upon herself to get chartered flights for the winning teams moving from those second round West competitions that happened to take place in the West to the East Coast. Um, so that got the Sparks to the Connecticut Sun and it got the, um, oh goodness, the Connecticut, I'm sorry, it got the, it got the Sparks to the Connecticut Sun and the Aces to the Washington Mystics. Mm -hmm. So um, that was a huge step. And that was the first sign of her leadership and everything that has come after with the biggest probably being her willingness to, um, to really negotiate with the players and hear their needs on the right. new CBA. Um, that is another example. And then the virtual draft and then the season taking place in the Bradenton bubble um, are all examples of leadership. So the fact that all this has happened tells me that, you know, unequivocally that she now has the power to, to do things. Whereas I feel like the other presidents may have just kind of, you know, had their hands tied. Um, yeah. So it's a definite plus for the league. Yeah, and you talk about the virtual draft. I mean, ratings were up 123% over the previous year for the WNBA. It was a remarkable success. Um, and, you know, about the CBA, I hear it referenced all the time as the most progressive CBA out there. Players are getting full maternity, uh, full pan maternity leave. What about that CBA makes it so remarkable? Um, for all of the reasons you just said, um, okay. that it finally actually gives, I guess the things I would add is that it actually gives the players uh, a boost in salary that's closer, you know, that more closely reflects what they contribute. You know, if you compare like an NBA rookie salary to a WNBA multi-champion veteran salary, 
it's absurd, you know. So rookies yeah. who haven't done anything make way more than um, these veterans who've won multiple championships. So it more closely gives them opportunities to earn more based on what they've achieved, whether it's all-star nods, uh, championships, individual awards, and so forth, plus higher baseline salaries. Um, I think across the country, probably working mothers are just, you know, looking at what the WNBA players get and want yeah. that for themselves and, and absolutely should. Um, working conditions where nursing mothers have a place where they can nurse in private, you know, in their office. And I know that the um, Phoenix Mercury have a playroom for kids. Um, and they had that even before the CBA. Uh, family planning is very inclusive and not um, just, oh, you know, your insurance covers uh, birth control pills. It's, oh, we re recognize that we have a lot of LGBTQ identifying players who may need to, who may, who want to start families and will have to go through other means. And so mm -hmm. that's paid for. And I don't wow. see where that's happening elsewhere. So it really sets the standard, I feel, for the rest of corporate America to, to try to, you know, match yeah. at some point. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, that's a great way to look at it, not just through the sports contest, but in the context of this is a corporation with this very progressive and inclusive uh, collective bargaining agreement with its employees, in this case, the players. And about the LGBTQ stars in the league, uh, Tamron, of course, for our purposes at Outsports, that is what we are always focused on first and foremost. Just give the listeners a bit of an insight about how prominent LGBTQ stars are in the WNBA and just how unusual that is, not just in American pro team sports, but pro team sports in general throughout the world. It's unusual that the WNBA players, um, compared to, like you said, other sports, have, um, I, I think they've reached a point, actually, I know they reached a point where they are tired, they were tired of being marketed inauthentically. Um, they were tired of, you know, certain players push forward as the faces of the league rather than making it making you know the faces of the league reflective of who's actually in it which so the 80 over 80 percent of the league is women of color a large majority are out gay women or lgbtq identifying women and they reach the point where they're no longer willing to you know hide any parts of themselves and they feel that they should be marketed as they are and as outspoken as they are and use their platforms to kind of get the rest of society and the rest of the sports world uh, on board. And they should be commended for, for leadership on that level. And I think Brittany Griner getting drafted in 2013, coming out even before she was drafted and, yeah. you know, kind of changed the tone. Brittany Griner is undeniable. You know, she's six foot nine. Um, she's a six foot nine African-American gay woman. And you can't deny her because just of how she physically appears. So her coming into the league and saying, I'm not going to live in, you know, in, in the closet and shame and shadows that other people want to put on me. So I'm just going to come out now, you know, before she inked any contracts was huge. And she and Alicia Clarendon wore suits to the draft. Right. And I think that was the, the turning point and the players wanted and pushed for more. 
Yeah, and, and Laisha Clarendon has been so great during uh, this nationwide unrest with police brutality. I mean, she's been such a uh, it's, it's, it's such a strong voice as well. Um, and it's a gender nonconforming star that's incredible too. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I really feel like in many ways, you know, in addition to how more people are watching and the in the incredible play, this is really such a big moment for the WNBA because at this time, I mean, so many of their stars, Natasha Cloud, I think, published. One of the definitive essays from athletes, especially during the, the last few months, your silence is a knee on the back of my neck. I mean, it just seems like such a great time for the league. So many of their stars are so active on these issues, so outspoken. Social media, I think, really helps as well. And it seems like this is a big moment for the WNBA. I agree 100%. And I, I think it's remarkable that the players you know, agreed that, okay, as long as the conditions are as safe as possible for a season to happen, for those who felt comfortable going forward, said, you know, if we're going to play in these conditions, we have to make it count. And so devoting the season to social justice activism, to Black Lives Matter, to bringing attention to the murder of Breonna Taylor by police, for which the officers who did it have never faced consequences or charges, um, so using the platform for social good is is, pre- is a pretty daring step. And as you know, Kelly Loeffler, the co-owner of the Atlanta Dream, also a senator from Georgia, opposes that. Um, yeah. And the players don't care. <laughs> you know, they, they're like, this is what we're doing. Um, and uh, her politics, you know, really should stay out of it. And that's pretty much what the players have said. Um, and... Loeffler's views actually don't really reflect the spirit of the team that she owns. If you look at how the team was founded, um, it was it's named the dream after Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech. So, yeah, I mean, about Kelly Loeffler, of course, I want to ask you about that. I mean, I think it's just remarkable that uh, the dream uh, issued the, the team issued a rebuke of one of their owners last week in her statements about Black Lives Matter. And I mean, pretty clearly just using the WNBA as a political, you know, as, as a way to gain cheap political points, um, which I think should have no, it, it's really quite remarkable that one of the owners of a league is bashing her own league to score political points. It's such a, what, what is your take on this whole Kelly Loeffler mess? Um, exactly what you said. She is, you know, using her privilege as a, you know, wealthy white Republican Senator to, to transact for political gain at the expense of the players who very much want to be left out of it. And when I spoke to Angel McCautry on Saturday, one of the most important things she said was, um, you know, in 2016, when the players were wearing I Can't Breathe t-shirts following uh, the police killing of Eric Garner, um, Kelly Loeffler was silent. Those those were the days before she was appointed to uh, Senator, which happened in late 2019. So um, it's, Kelly Loeffler really believes the things that she's saying um, through her politics, then it's she who doesn't fit with the league and it's not anything the league needs to change. So she's very much um, behind the moment. She's obviously not listening to her players um, and insists on muddying the waters to make a human rights issue one that is uh you know, making it into a political one for her, for her benefit. And um, whether she knows it or not, and, you know, not to just, you know, fully bash her or condemn her. I don't know her. Some of the players speak fondly of her. Angel McCutchey said, um, 
you know, I believed if she was, you know, really felt this way, she wouldn't invite all these black women, all these gay people into her home. And we hope that that's correct. But hopefully she can have a moment of reflection and see that what she's doing is the same kind of uh, like white supremacist structure play. You know, she's using her power at the expense of all these other black women and the whole team and it's putting them in an awkward, awkward position. Um, so I don't, you know, I respect Engelbert's choice. It's not like Loeffler hasn't done what Donald Sterling did when he was owner of the Clippers and the players were like, we're not going to play for him. You get rid of him and other players and other teams are like, we're out as long as he's in the league. Um, but perhaps some kind of public rebuke of her choice to continue to use and politicize a human rights campaign that the players and the league and the players association are undertaking for the 2020 season, that definitely would be appropriate. And if she feels so devoted to her base and perhaps it makes her look bad to her base to own a team that's majority black that's in a league that's promoting Black Lives Matter, then that's her choice if she's so uncomfortable that she should leave. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. It's really just cheesy and cheap. I mean, it's, you know, Josh Hatley did it a couple weeks ago with the NBA, writing that ridiculous letter to Adam Silver. You know, why don't they put pro-police slogans on jerseys too? Trump, of course, mm-hmm. has, you know, for years attacked black athletes. It's just a cheap, mm-hmm. and I think, political ploy. Um, lastly, Tamron, I know you also at Swish Appeal cover a lot about the actual game itself. It starts this weekend. Oh, yeah. So what are you most looking forward to about the WNBA bubble? Ooh, um, I have, well, I was really looking forward to seeing the new Make Way spot, which we just published um, at noon today. And the, the, the players and the league really behind them and reflecting the mission that they want, which is amplifying these strong women um, and strong athletes. And I know the players want to be seen as athletes, that they are and respected for their game. So I'm really looking forward to, to seeing them play. I'm looking forward to the new look rosters because some players, including several stars, have either opted out out of fears of the coronavirus or were medically excused because of underlying health conditions. Um, and then some opted out like Natasha Cloud to uh, and Renee Montgomery to pursue um, social justice initiatives outside of the bubble. So. We have the Connecticut Sun without John Cole Jones, who helped the team get to a five-game series last season. How will Beatrice Montfrumier, the rookie, fill in and man the paint? And then um, Tina Charles, we're looking forward to seeing her debut with the Washington Mystics. She's out because of an underlying health condition. So how will the other players who perhaps didn't get as much playing time behind the stars in 2019 you know, this is their time to shine. It's their moment to seize and which ones will, you know, make the biggest splash. That's my view of the season. Um, In our world of uncertainty over coronavirus and uh, economic downturn and all of these things, um, we finally have some pleasant, positive uncertainty, like which of the young stars will rise up. Yeah, that's a good way. That's a good way to phrase it. Uh, the sports uncertainty is good uncertainty and a distracting uncertainty, uh, at least for now. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, Tamron Sparul. You can read her. She's the editor in chief at Swish Appeal. Uh, how can how can the people follow you on Twitter, Tamron? At Tamron Sparul. Oh, easy enough. Thanks for coming on the show. Much appreciated. I, I appreciate it. Thanks.
All right, and welcome back to the Sports Kiki. We have two guests today. That's right, two guests, because whenever we talk about the WNBA on this show, we have to bring in our resident expert, Lauren Rosenberg. She is a returning guest, I believe the first ever returning guest in Sports Kiki podcast history. So, Lauren, I know it's probably been a tough spring and summer graduating from the University of Missouri amidst a pandemic, but at least you are now the only repeat guest on the Sports Kiki. So that, that probably makes up for everything, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm so honored. That definitely makes up for every single thing, for sure. <laughs> so how's it going? I mean, first of all, last time we checked in with you a few months ago, I think school was still in session, nearing its end. Now you've graduated and missed this hellscape. Just how's everything going? How are you holding up? Well, I'm not graduated yet. I actually finished okay. my classes on 31st. Okay. So I'm almost there. Soon, We're though. In, like... Soon, though. How does it feel but to be in the home? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it feels, it Go feels ahead. really good, though. It's just surreal and everything that it's like I've been here for four years and I'm about to, you know, leave Missouri. And it's just so strange. Like, this has been my home for four years. So I'm like, this, this is going to be weird going back home to Texas. Yeah, I'm sure. And how weird has it been finishing out your senior year in virtual classes? Oh, it's so stressful. I hate it. I hate virtual classes. Like, when it's more than like two, oh gosh, I don't like it. But then when it became, you know, like five and then uh, three this summer, I was like, dang, I really need to like step up my game to finish it out. It's just so stressful. It's really hard, but I mean, got to do what I got to do. Got to do what you got to do. And for those who didn't who didn't catch Lauren's last appearance a few months ago, we've profiled her in Outsports. She is, uh, correct me if I got this right, Lauren, you were the only or the first openly LGBT Q reporter, sports reporter at the school radio station. Is that correct? At Missouri? Yeah, yeah that's Yes, yes. So, so Lauren is a groundbreaker. She's going to do great things in the sports media industry, and we're glad to have her here on the show. So last time you were on, Lauren, uh, we talked about Kelly Loeffler. We were ahead of the story, as we joke every week, it seems like, in our Outsport Zoom chats. We talked about her and her problematic ownership, co-ownership of the Atlanta Dream with the uh, stock transactions, the questionable stock transactions she had, the investigation for insider trading earlier this year at the start of the pandemic. Now we've moved to her openly railing against the league and its embrace of Black Lives Matter and really using the WNBA as a political pawn for her failing and struggling Senate re-election campaign. Um, Just what are your thoughts on the latest developments, especially as we know, an avid WNBA watcher? Um, I am appalled by it, but I'm not shocked because of her track record and like what we talked about back in, I think it was like April, um, that she's against like all the like liberal policies that the WNBA is so proud of, like Planned Parenthood backing that up, backing up LGBTQ for Pride Night, obviously uh, backing up the players for Black Lives Matter after the murder of George Floyd. So it's, it's, appalling but not shocking yeah i agree and what are your thoughts on because we talked about this a little bit last time too on her being forced to sell the team obviously a lot of players star players have uh called for ouster her ousting of the league wnba commissioner kathy engelbert says she won't force lawfer to sell her stake lawfer of course uh though she says she's been canceled this week uh also says she will not sell um what are your thoughts on that do you think she should sell I definitely think she should sell. Um, 
Because this actually kind of reminds me of, I cannot remember his name, but that former Clippers owner. Who yeah, Donald said Sterling. the N-word. Yes, Donald Sterling. I knew it was something with Donald, and I cannot remember the last well, name. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's um, quite a name. It kind of reminds me of that. Yeah, oh, yep, exactly. What what a name. So it, it reminds me of that and everything. But the fact that the W is not forcing uh, Lafleur to sell her interest in the team is it's not like shocking because in the end it is Loeffler's choice to do it. But I feel like if other uh, situations come out, like if they find her doing the same thing that Sterling did by saying the N word or doing any of that type of stuff, then she will be forced out. But so far there has not been any evidence of that. I personally think that she should sell her share, especially because this could lead to like the players next season like not wanting to like re-sign if their contracts are up or not wanting to come in in free agency or demanding a trade and the dream won't exist anymore. Well, right. And I mean, the players rebuked her as well um, last week. They, they, they signed a letter and they posted it, which I think was pretty remarkable. And yeah, I mean, Donald Sterling is different because he was caught on tape using racial slurs. Um, you know, obviously Kelly Loeffler has not been caught doing anything like that. But, you know, I would say that she's race baiting. And in her role as a junior Republican senator from Georgia, she's in a tough fight for re-election. Her main challenger is this rep, Doug Collins. I know closely you follow it, Lauren, but he was uh, he's one of Trump's biggest defenders in Congress. He was a big star in the impeachment hearings. Um, I mean, it's quite clear that she thinks her involvement at this point with the WNBA could be a political liability. So she's turning it around to now rail against her own league, which I just think is very disingenuous and just very strange to have one. Like, I I can never imagine, for example, the NFL tolerating one of its owners railing against the league and basically encouraging fans to boycott the league for their own personal gain, which seems to be what Kelly Loeffler is doing. Yeah, she's definitely doing that. Like you said, so she can um, use it as political bait so she can get reelected, or not even reelected. She wasn't even elected. She was appointed. So appointed, I guess to get right. officially elected. Yeah. So that's just something that I I hate when this because this is not political. And then the dream literally said in their statement, "This is not a political statement. This is a statement of humanity." Because in the end, it really isn't a in it really isn't a political statement because Black Lives Matter. Because they are humans, like the dream said, this is a statement of humanity, and that they're standing with each other, the coaches with them, and it's just kind of like, what is Loeffler trying to do? It doesn't make any sense to me, in the sense of like the fact that she is just completely going against the league. I really, I just, it doesn't baffle me, but it makes me like kind of sick to my stomach. Yeah, it's certainly disingenuous. Um, as I said, oh, first of all, Lauren, with its season uh, coming up this weekend, I know you're a huge fan. What are you most looking forward to with the season coming up? You know, I got to say this. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, Sophie Cunningham play. I got to rep, you know, my Mizzou alum. I'm so excited for Phoenix. I'm Honestly, I'm excited for everyone. I'm excited to see them stand with each other throughout the season. Because this is something I even actually wrote about this in um an assignment I turned into my organizational advocacy class last night that 
in all the statements that the WNBA put out in the 60 seconds with Sid, which is um, Chicago Sky player Sydney Colson, she did an hour, uh, hour, a minute and a half video with all with a lot of the players saying our lives matter. You can tell that the league is in unison with each other and the players are basically a community and that they're going to fight for each other. So I'm excited to see how they use their platforms for that. I'm really excited to see uh, Ariel Powers uh, just dominate, really, in the great season. She's going to have a lot more abilities to play. And I, I actually um, I edit her YouTube video, so uh, Ariel and wow. I are pretty close. Yeah, so... I'm excited to like see her. I mean, I'm just excited to see how the league plays out, especially because all these rookies who didn't even make rosters at first, at the first cutoffs, are uh, on rosters unless they opted out for the season. So this is going to be a very interesting season. And yeah. I don't think, and I think you're going to ask this part to me, I don't think that the champions should have an asterisk. I agree with Candace Parker in saying that the champions should have an exclamation point because of how weird the circumstances are. That's interesting, yeah. And I think you can say that for all these sports leagues. I mean, baseball especially is the one where it's usually 160 games, now 60 games. But uh, this, the circumstances certainly are extraordinary. And speaking of that, Lauren, you know, I'm very interested because I, of course, was in your shoes uh, I want to say not too long ago, but as I get into my later 20s, I don't, I can't say that so much. But as a journalism student graduating, like in sports media, what, what is your thoughts as you enter this, this world where right now, like, you know, such a select number of journalists are only allowed even in, you know, no one's even allowed in-person access to players right now in sports media. The, the, the entire medium has been turned upside down right now. Just what are your thoughts on graduating into this environment and how are you, how are you kind of prepping that and handling that? Um, I am anxious about graduating in this environment and not having like a set in stone job. I've applied to places, but I'm not too optimistic about getting those just because of like, we don't even know if sports for like college, for example, are even happening in the fall. Like, you know, uh, I think Syracuse is not allowed to play any home games with fans for football. It's just so many question marks and so many unknowns. And it's just awful for any 2020 graduate in general and in sports media. But I do have my um, freelance thing I do with um, a, a WNBA and women's basketball um, publication called The Next, where I do write about the Big 12 for women's basketball. So there's still a lot of stories that happen there. And assuming something with women's basketball for college happens, then I at least have like a side gig to keep me busy and I won't just be, you know, sitting and playing video games all day. Ah, but there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that as well. Uh, it'll, it'll be fine. And, uh, yes, it's good to keep everything out there. And, uh, Lauren Rosenberg does a great job. Lauren, how can the people follow you on Twitter? Oh, you can follow me at L Rosenberg one Oh one on Twitter. All right, L Rosenberg 101, that's Lauren Rosenberg. We're calling her our, our resident, Kelly Lafleur basher and WNBA expert. Lauren, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for catching up with us. Thank you. Yes, and again, that was Lauren Rosenberg. Thank her for coming on the show this week's edition of the Sports Kiki Podcast. Also want to thank Tamron Sperule, who is the uh, editor-in-chief at Swish Appeal and a WNBA writer as well. Just a lot of issues around the WNBA, social issues, culture stuff that you know that we like to dig into. So love to have two guests this week. As always, if you have any guest ideas, you can feel free to hit me up on Twitter, at AlexReamer1. That again is at AlexReamer1. Against my better judgment, 
My Twitter DMs are open. So thank you again for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week.